This time on Chew Diligence. Women are finally getting their voice and not just talking about harassment, but talking about every issue. Kansas City women in the restaurant industry. We all want things to be better, not just for women in the industry, but for our industry as a whole. Brought in to try to be part of the solution. Kara Anderson, executive chef of The Sundry. You know, as a, as a woman that has a child, I find myself constantly apologizing. Anna Karen Ibarra from Rye. We're trying to make it an even playing field. And Caitlin Corcoran from Savah. What does success look like and how do we get there? Back from the East Coast representing KC in a national conversation. I have experienced some type of harassment in every single kitchen I've worked in. There's no HR where I work and there hasn't been an HR in a restaurant that I think I have ever worked in. On this episode, this conversation can be adult in nature at times as our guests share their stories and where they believe we go from here. On this episode of True Diligence, the podcast room is full of ladies today. Hi, ladies. Hi. <laughs> I love it. How do you do? Jill and I are here talking to, we have Caitlin Corcoran, we have Anna Karen Ibarra, and we have Kara Anderson. Thank you guys for coming. Yeah, Thank you for having you. us. Yeah. I'm just a handful of the ladies that have been representing KC on the East Coast at some really interesting, fascinating fellowships and workshops. And we're going to talk to them about that coming up. But first, the food, Jill. Yep. Lindsay, where where have you been? I am at seven and a half weeks pregnant at this point. So <laughs> Seven and a half weeks? Oh, it's months. <laughs> what am I doing? Six yeah. and a half left. So I've been on a sandwich kick. And I... We talk about this all the time. My husband gets very upset when we don't ever go back to the same place because there's so many great places to try. So guilty. So, so incredibly right? guilty. Because you always have to know what's new, what's right? What's new? So we rediscovered yeah. Bella Napoli for sandwiches. Oh, my. And because I can't have deli sandwiches, I've craved them like no other. But they had veggie options that were phenomenal. So no no deli meat, huh? Is that That's the, what I hear. Okay. Like when I was pregnant, that was not a deal, but okay. <laughs> Things change every year. It's crazy, right? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. But okay, so you're safe and sound eating vegetables. That's a good thing. <laughs> and cheese and delightful bread. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. what about you? Uh, well, I ate at the Broadmoor at their first homecoming uh, dinner, the Broadmoor Bistro. So it was the kids' first night of, you know, getting out there and they were with Elise Landry, who I think is a popular gal yeah. in this crowd. Yeah. Yes. yeah, she's Snaps. been on the road. I follow her Instagram and uh, boy, fun travels. Mm-hmm. She's about to go to Europe for like two months. That's too, what so. she told yeah. me. And I was follow just along the Madam Croak. So, so oh. jealous. Yes. But it, uh, it was a wonderful night. And she um, she was mentoring. It was fa- Fabulous to see her mentoring, um, and the students did a great job. I was going to say, if nobody's heard of Broadmoor, give a quick synopsis of what it is. Uh, so basically, it's the Shawnee Mission uh, culinary program for high school uh, students, and they can spend part of their day uh, learning to bake or learning uh, hospitality or learning uh, how to cook on the line. So awesome. a really intensive program uh, run by Bob Broussard, uh and two of his students also help him uh, these days. They are co, co-teachers. Um, so mm. a high, high degree of return on this particular program, obviously, when the students come back and they mentor and they teach. And 
that's a good sign that Very something good went sign. right, right? Yeah, exactly. So one of the one of the best programs actually in the country. Mm. They just got certified by ACF. Twenty four hundred uh, programs had been certified, and I heard through the grapevine that they were just blown away and saying this was one of the best in the country. Wow! Woo-hoo. Yeah, I mean that so, kitchen is gorgeous. Like no one has <laughs> a kitchen yeah, like same. that, do they? No, no. no. <laughs> she's failure. Like Bob opens up the cooler and he goes, "Look," and it like. It knows what temperature the food goes in, and it knows what temperature it goes out. Oh, wow. I mean, it's so incredibly high-tech. Yeah. So they have wow. fabulous facilities, and they'll be working on their um, their urban garden, uh, which oh, cool. is awesome. an fun out back. I think it's an acre wow. now. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. And it's going to be substantial. They're going to have an outdoor kitchen, um, uh, barbecue uh, they, they're going to be able to do a whole hog out there. I mean, oh, hell yeah. some yeah. really fun stuff. So I see parties in our, you know, yeah. in our future. And this is a high school program. <laughs> it is a high school program. That's yes. phenomenal. It is. And that's kind of what today is about, is about bringing women in and empowering them as they learn in the food industry and for the established women in the food industry, figuring out how to do that, right? How to make it a, a safe place to work, how to make it an enjoyable place to work and a place where you can keep on climbing the ladder. Absolutely. Definitely. Caitlin Corcoran and I both have our hot tea and our sassy voices today. Hey. <laughs> so Caitlin from Savah, fabulous wine bar and so much more in Westport. You're here for two reasons. You uh, were on the selection committee for Solution Sprint for Women in Hospitality United. Mm-hmm. And Solution Sprint is what our two other guests just got back from. And Caitlin, you were also a part of a fellowship for the James Beard Foundation. Yeah, and actually, like, I was so bummed they both happened at the same time because mm. I really wanted to be able to go. But the woman from the James Beard Foundation is actually on the advisory committee for Women in Hospitality United. And then one of the chefs did something at Solution Sprint and then came and was on a panel at the fellowship. So it was a little bit interconnected, and I got to hear about it before I got back home. So talk to us about Solution Sprint. Um, why was it needed, and what was it? You know, I just think that in the era of Me Too, women are finally getting their voice and not just talking about harassment, but talking about every issue, because so much of this is an intersectional and it's not just a gender thing. It's also a race thing. It's also a socioeconomic class thing. And so getting women together and being able to talk about broad issues of like, what does success look like and how do we get there and what do, what tools do we need as women to find out and maybe be able to offer to the next generation to get there as well. Uh, Anna, Karen, Mm -hmm. and Kara, I read on the website for Solution Sprint that they approached this like a -a (laughs) hackathon. Is that what it felt like? Like, what did you guys do? No, it felt like a -a hackathon. It was one of the most intense days I've experienced in a long time. It was just a a gigantic room full of women um, and, and men and other participants that have realized we all want things to be better, not just for women in the industry, but for our industry as a whole. And so everyone was divided into groups and we all had a problem to tackle. And it was nine and a half hours of just like, how can we make this better? And what step, like, what can we do that is a concrete thing moving forward instead of everyone, you know, we all agree things need to change, but how do we get there? And so it was just nine hours and a bunch of gigantic post-it notes all over the room. It was empowering. Absolutely. Yeah. You could feel the energy. It was it was live in there. It really was. And everybody was really excited to just be a part of it. But 
to bring their topic and their ideas to the table, which was nice to get a seat at the table Mm -hmm. for everyone. Mm -hmm. And Kansas City, very decently represented at this. uh, Kara Anderson, executive chef at the Sundry, and uh, Anna Karen Ibarra is from Rye on the Plaza. How many other ladies from KC were there? Two others, uh, Katie McLean, who is the chef and owner at Crookstrom, and Laura Wagner, who is at 1900. Yeah, she's the one of the bartenders at restaurant at 1900. Yeah, it's awesome. Caitlin, you were saying uh, regional diversity was a big deal for this. Definitely. So the founders of the Women in Hospitality United organization are from New York, and they realized they could very easily make it just about New York, but because of a connection that I had to one of the women. She really wanted to reach out and get other people's ideas. So that really, like, the idea of women in New York fight figuring this out doesn't help the rest of the country. So, like, how do we get other people in the conversation? And so that's one of the reasons I was on the selection committee was to kind of help hype it, which I'm really happy that we had a great turnout from it. Yeah. And they were super happy with the mm-hmm. Kansas City report. Yeah. So, And that's something that I talked to one of the gals about, you know, reaching to the smaller market. We're not New York. We work different. And, you know, even— Caitlin and I talked about this yesterday from a political standpoint and just anything, really. We we work a little bit different and we needed to figure out how do we reach out to the women in our area. And I actually worked in the mentorship program, uh, well, the table. And one of the topics was, you know, how mentoring is not just a, a one-on-one sort of, you know, going to someone who is knowledgeable and has like the power. It, it could be small interactions every day um, and, and not repeat itself. And we w- talked about like solutions on how to reach out and having resources available. And one of them was, you know, we're, we're in the smaller market. Uh, how, how do we reach out? And we came up with sort of like this idea of creating a website where we can post, you know, resources or, hey, you should check this book out or, you know, somebody did this interview and brought this up or someone's doing this really cool, you know, program or, or whatever it was and just kind of reach out that way. Mm-hmm. This was not you guys going to learn the answers. This was you guys going to come up with them, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And I was in the working parents group. Um, and we were presented with a program um, that had been tested in Toronto on a small scale. Um, it was a restaurant at the time that was hiring women um, who were in essentially low-income housing. It was only housing for single parents, um, single women specifically between 19 and 28. And this restaurant was hiring them and training them in the kitchen in the front of the house. Um, and for reasons outside of the restaurant's success, um, the space closed. And so... That program was very successful as a restaurant, so our task was how do we get this going again in Toronto on a small scale, but also, um, you know, longer term, how do we make the hospitality industry appealing in an actual, um, in a way that working mothers think, oh, I could have a career here and not just I can be a mom or I can work in the restaurant industry. And I think a lot of times, at least in my experience, that has been the case is you have to kind of pick the side. Um, so we were tasked with figuring out this program was successful on a small scale. Is there a way to make it successful large scale? And how do we make, um, you know, restaurant owners who, especially in the Midwest, are predominantly male? And most of them, um, it, you know, if they have families, they have a, a supporting partner or, you know, they have help. And for women who don't have that, 
how do we make this a viable industry for them so they feel like they can be successful long term and not just a stepping stone job to what other people would say, you know, is a more um, sustainable career. Real Grown job. job. Exactly. There you Grown go. Job. There you go. And part of it stemmed from, you know, Normies. I like I have a child. He's four. And when I had, just had him, I got asked, like, oh, so what are you going to do? What are you going to do after you have your kid? And I was like, I'm going to cook because I'm a chef. That's what I do. You know, I'm going to come back to the kitchen. And they're like, oh, oh, okay. Sure you are. Sure you are. Which I think is the, the reaction of a lot of women, front of the house, back of the house, you know, in many facets of this industry. Like, that's the reaction we get, especially from our male coworkers, is like, okay, sure you're going to come back to work. And families, too. I mean, my mom mm-hmm. was a pastry chef when I was growing up. Really? And she was she had to choose, you know, and she does more institutionalized nutrition and health now. She works in the hospital. But growing up, she was not super supportive of my desire for this. Like, I knew I wanted to own a restaurant from the age of 13. And she was kind of like, nope, like, it's hard. Like, I'd want you to have a good mm-hmm. life. And she felt she had to choose between her love of pastry and the kids. Mm. And so she was like, I want you to, like, have it all. But, like, she couldn't see how I could do that with, in a restaurant job. I think I've seen that over and over again, and I've seen parents counsel their kids not to go into the industry mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because they think that either A, they're going to be doing something that they maybe don't want to do. Maybe they wanted to be a cook, but they're going to do pastry because yeah. that might be the only way to go ahead and do this, or they just don't want them in the industry at all. Mm-hmm. And so I think that those two things are feeding into, it's intersectional, like you're saying, yeah. Caitlin, mm-hmm. where you're getting people pushed into jobs, maybe that they're not necessarily wanting. At the same time, you're getting people who are not even taking the jobs. Um, and so mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about how you juggle with a four-year-old because that, I mean, I think yes. every mother in this room, yeah. Yeah. Uh, soon to be mama, soon to be mama. I mean, I, uh, yeah, I, uh, how do you do it? I've always wondered how we all do it. Um, I don't sleep a lot, I think is the, the one, um, in my job now, um, I work at the sundry and right now, uh, we're a, kind of a cafe and marketplace and we just do, um, supper dinner service on Saturday nights. We do a Saturday night supper club. Um, and then we're open for breakfast and lunch. So this is definitely a more accommodating schedule than um, before this. Uh, I was at the Rieger for uh, almost three years. Um, and that that schedule worked because I had I worked nights. So I had Xavier in the morning. And so I had family time with him in the morning and then nights. Um, and then, you know, kind of like every parent, you just make it work until, you know, you figure out a good system, which I'm still working on. Um, and the one... One of the biggest struggles and the reason, one of the perks of my job now is um, when I was at the Rieger or any other restaurant that has dinner service, there is not childcare available yeah. for you if you work until one o'clock in the morning or midnight, mm. or there is childcare available that you maybe don't want your kid to go to, mm. or there isn't childcare available. I live and work in South Hyde Park. Like there's, you know, there's nowhere to go at that point. And so that was one of the struggles and one of the reasons that I think a lot of parents, you know, step back or like I did step into a position that is different hours and more accommodating, at least for a while. So you can figure this out. Um, And that was one of the things we talked about at the sprint is a lot of times you are seen as a parent that needs childcare outside of nine to five. It is a very hard thing to find. And also like, well, why don't you just get it? Why don't you just get a job that's during the the day you do you really want to 
keep doing this thing at night all the time. Um, and there isn't a lot of support for that that idea of you can have a successful career, a grown up job that you're very proud of, and still not get home till midnight. And like that can be your schedule, and that doesn't make you a bad parent or less of a parent, you know, because you're rearranging what your day looks like. Um, and I think a lot of times that's the choice that has to be made is, okay, well, I need childcare. And, you know, you know, a lot of my friends that have kids in the industry are, are single parents or, you know, co-partnering with someone in another home. And so you have to figure out how to do that. And sometimes that's the frustration that ends it for a lot of mm-hmm. working parents is, all right, I need, I need someone to watch my kid and I don't have that. So I have to stay home. I have to stay home or I have to find another job. And that isn't always readily available. So we're kind of dealing with this at Savah right now because my bar and events manager just came back from maternity leave. But for a small business, there's no, like, blueprint of how that has to go in the United States of America, which, like, is crazy. Like, my French friends, like, did not believe me when I was telling them that. I was like, we don't have to guarantee them anything. Mm -hmm. Like, not even your job back. Right. Like, it's insane. And so, so many restaurants, especially because it's the turnover so high already that it's like, okay, like, we might have something for you when you come back, but... Who knows? Like, also, like, are you going to have reliable check? Like, are you mm-hmm. going to call out? Like, mm-hmm. what's your deal? And that's kind of the attitude. And so that's why I'm really excited about, like, trying to become a better boss and, like, a better employer is, like, how can we make this work in our system? And, you know, for Sarah, like, I think we're doing a great, like, balance right now. Like, she has two nights, and those nights are the nights that her husband can be at home. He also hasn't He's also a beverage director, so has a little bit more untraditional hours. But then also, like, how much work can I give to her that she can do at home? Like, what is mm-hmm. the stuff that she can do? And that's kind of how she's, like, grown into the events management role. It's like, cool, you can answer emails while hanging out and, like, parenting. Like, right. that's something that helps you with your balance. So figuring out kind of more of, the, like, those delegations has been a cool challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Caitlin, you talked about before you went to your fellowship for the James Beard Foundation that that was one of the things you were excited to hear about just from the HR perspective, everything else. Is there anything else that was kind of like a light bulb for you that you picked up? I mean, that entire like five and a half days was insane. (laughs) Like it was like basically what they're talking about, but like for five and a half days. So um, I feel like I didn't get the details of some of that stuff that I was wanting. But what I got was these big theories of like, these are the resources to go to now. Like, this is how you figure out the problem. Like, don't be afraid of figuring out the problem. Um, and so, you know, like, most people kind of don't have it figured out either. You know, like, that's that's the real rub. And regardless of the region, all the struggles are the same. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. the struggles are the same. Yeah. And so how do you handle that is, like, a, you know, something we're all trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. And to kind of go off of of a couple things that you both mentioned. Um, One of the other groups at this event touched on mental health. And right Mm -hmm. now, Mm -hmm. the industry as a whole, small market, big market, no matter where you are, you Mm -hmm. get criticized for doing what you do. It's, It's not a real job. And here's an example. One of the gals in that specific group talked about how she needed therapy. She needed a, a way to let out her frustrations and 
she talked about how she reached out to a therapist and she said, well, first off, you need to find something that doesn't let you off at one in the morning. She goes, that's that's not normal. So already <laughs> kind of criticizing and she's trying to reach mm-hmm. out and the, there's a stigma. And so we, we don't have anywhere to go. We've always been sort of um, kind of keeping to ourselves and that's that's not OK. It, it leads to, you know, dark, dark things. And, and mm-hmm. we try. I know for Kara and I, uh, as well as uh, one of the other gals, we try to check in mentally once a month mm-hmm. for a couple of weeks. It helps. It really does. Yeah. I do think, too, like because the restaurant industry doesn't traditionally offer benefits like other career paths, um, health insurance is something that most of us struggle with. Mm-hmm. And people think it's a luxury to go to a therapist. I've been going to a therapist now for a year. I started last October. It's been a game changer. Like she is Mm -hmm. like a mentor to me on a different level. And I'm able to really become a better communicator and a better leader for my staff because I've started seeing this person. But most people don't take the time. And I know that I come from a place of privilege being able to afford that as well because I have insurance, but it doesn't cover that. Yeah. I uh, just had a keynote address that I attended with Kat Kinsman. Oh, yeah, she um, was the chef with issues. Yeah. Right. And so she was talking about how critical this was and that people are just sort of coming out of the woodwork. She didn't, you know, aim to be sort of a, an ear or <laughs> mm-hmm. a therapist. Um, she has her own issues, and she wrote a book recently called High Anxiety, hmm. H-I mm-hmm. apostrophe. <laughs> um, she has a great sense of humor, but um, she was saying that she it, it became everywhere she went um, chefs would just sort of pull her off to the side and start mm-hmm. asking for that. Mm. So I, I'm wondering, what are the resources in town and what kind of resources <laughs> do you need um, to establish? Swope Park Medical mm-hmm. does sliding scale health insurance or uh, health insurance, but also therapy. And honestly, what I found is a lot of therapists in town do sliding scale, but they it, they don't have a database that you can like search for that. Right. So that you just have to kind of like hear a name and look and see if they do that. Like my therapist does that, but it's something that like I had to like kind of ask about. Yeah. Um, and then KC Free Health Connect, I think also does mm-hmm. therapy. There was a, oh, sorry. Moxa, if it's involving sexual trauma. Yeah. There was a, a woman in my group that had mentioned when they were talking about the mental health thing, she was like, oh, well, just you just go to HR and they'll help you find someone. And I just laughed. I was like, we there's we don't. No HR there's no HR where I work, shops. and there hasn't been an HR in a restaurant that I think I have ever worked in. So it's just kind of that was one of the things that um, that sh- and she was one of the New York girls, just happened to be. But it was like, oh, so maybe this isn't as big of a problem in some of the larger restaurants um, as it is for the smaller ones. But I think the bigger problem overall is there's still a stigma of in general in the restaurant industry saying that you need help. Yeah. Whether it's like I need help getting my prep list done because I'm going to get um, fucked at service or I need help being ready to go with this or I need help with childcare, or I need help because I'm sick and I need time off. You know, there's still this idea of especially, you know, as a as a woman that has a child, I find myself constantly apologizing like I am so sorry, but I've got to take X man to an appointment or I am so sorry, but it's mom's night at school and I I really need to go to this one you know you find this constant attitude of apology when you do need to ask for help and so I think that's part of the stigma especially in small restaurants in Kansas City that we can start working on immediately is you know you don't need to apologize for being a human Mm -hmm. and understanding that this job takes its toll on all of us 
very quickly, you know, and reducing that stigma of asking for for help in, in all those ways that we all need it. Is part of that because you feel like you have to be to get to where you want to be a kind of a kitchen warrior? Oh, yeah. And just a boss. Like, yeah. you can't, like, Absolutely. yeah. yeah. <laughs> you just have to hustle and you work harder and you just do it, you know? Yeah. And you don't ask for help. Because yeah. that's a sign of weakness. It is. Yeah. Like, and that's part of the culture that I would love Especially to change. Especially for like, women. Like, you have yeah. to work twice as hard. Um, even if it's not verbal. Like, it, it's just a sense of... I have to hustle. And, you know, in my past, in, in multiple kitchens, I've, you know, casually seen, you know, a, a male coworker say, oh, well, let me get that for you. Or I, I will carry, for, mm-hmm. you know, carry that for you. And it's not that they're trying to talk down to me or anything. I think it's just instilled into them that we are less or not less, but weaker. So need to say. help. Yeah. And we need mm-hmm. help. And, and that's not the case. And we're trying to make it an even playing field. Yeah. And I think. You know, when when the Me Too movement happened and started and it and it really came into the restaurant industry light, like for me, that was like a shit's about to go down moment. Like everyone's about to get called out. Like this is about to be a thing. And at the time I worked in an all male kitchen and, you know, we I brought it up at work. I was like, what do you guys think about this? And one of the guys said, and he's a younger guy and hasn't worked in kitchens as long as I have. And he said, I don't think it really happens that much around here. And like to me, that was really eye opening because I have experienced some type of harassment in every single kitchen I've worked in. And for him to, to, for someone that I worked with every day, literally two feet beside me to not see that, like to me that, that was really eye opening. this idea that the people I work with don't see the struggle that I have and not just me, but they don't, they don't see the people around them doing this to the women or, or other men that they work with. So that to me was a really eye opening. Oh, they, they don't understand that the playing field isn't even for me or for any other, you know, female at this time in the restaurant industry. I think that's something that one of the groups worked on at Solution Sprint mm-hmm. was the idea of like making a what is harassment poster mm-hmm. hang up at restaurants because I think that is something people have, don't have a vocabulary of how to describe what happened to them. And that's why crisis centers around the country have had an influx of calls from more geriatric people recently because of the Kavanaugh situation. Mm-hmm. People didn't realize what happened to Dr. Ford was assault, you know, right. and they were like, oh, that happened to me. Yeah. And then they're like unpacking that. And so people need to understand what harassment looks like and what my- microaggressions look like and just how to put a, you know, a label to it mm-hmm. and realize, oh, this is actually happening. Mm-hmm. Do, you, uh, do you know what the look of that um, poster would be? I mean, what was the conclusion on that? Because I don't know what it looked like, but I definitely said it needed to have sleek illustrations. (laughs) (laughs) Because those are such difficult concepts, I think, to Mm -hmm. to put in a pictorial. There was a so they did kind of a mock up. Um, We all worked all day and then gave kind of tiny presentations at the end of the day on what we had worked on, and they had a mock up of it. And one of the things was, um, you know, just words that are said to you and phrases that are said to you that would be considered uncomfortable or harassment. And also sometimes it's just, there was a a basic like contact, like if somebody rubs your back and you don't want it and you know, using those words to describe uncomfortable situations that you might be in. Um, And then the idea also was that it would be, you know, not just in English, but in a variety of languages. Um, And sometimes that's where I think, especially in, um, you know, larger restaurants, things fall through the cracks when people don't know the vocabulary, but also don't have someone to communicate in their language that they're most comfortable with. 
what has happened there, what's going on, and what the struggles are that they have. Yeah. From what I can remember when they were giving the presentation, um, they had drawn sort of loose shapes of, of what this would actually look like, but it was like a group of people, and they all looked different, um, different heights, different colors, and then there were like bubbles on top mm-hmm. of like phrases or ideas of like moments of of questioning that they might have, and, and, and it is to bring up those topics of, you know, oh, I, f- I feel like that person on that poster maybe this is something I should bring up to work you know Mm -hmm. and and that that's what I remember from that for sure Mm -hmm. do you get advice from um and I think we talked a little bit about this Caitlin but um different generations so people who are ahead of you women who um, you know have been in the field for a long time do you get advice that you think is useful or do you or do you sometimes think they downplay maybe some of what you guys are going through at this point, because I think, you know, times change, of course. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I was really lucky a couple of weeks ago when I was in Babson to be surrounded by a plethora of very strong women of different backgrounds and ages. So some of my opinions have changed a little bit, but I do think that overall that generalization is still a true thing because women of a certain age came up in the industry and they worked harder. They did it. They got harassed and they kind of became part of the boys club and also soldiers for the boys club and implementing in their own kitchens but they i think don't realize that like it doesn't have to be like that Mm -hmm. and that's what we're realizing and i think it's not just because we're women but i think it's a a generational thing like our generation is like this has got to stop yeah like what is going on and that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that their experiences aren't valid they worked hard to get Mm -hmm. you know it's harder than we have but we're trying to not continue that pattern right you know and to change the whole culture, and specifically in the restaurant industry, but overall, I think, across the conversation, like, the nation just, like, mm-hmm. needs to change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And something that I was actually talking to Howard about a while back is, you know, this was a great way to network with mm-hmm. other women, mm-hmm. and other careers do it, too. You know, doctors, lawyers, they have networking events. Why can't we do that? Mm-hmm. We need to take ourselves seriously and create a career path for ourselves, and by that, that it, it means shedding light on all of these topics mm-hmm. and creating a safe place to work so that we can take our ourselves seriously first and then let everybody else see that as well and be proud of that yeah um we were in the parent group we were talking about um examples of of workplaces or career paths that do a great job of supporting working parents and i brought up um we know when i was a kid my mom was a a nurse in an obgyn um floor in a hospital and she worked long hours and late nights and you know how that goes schedule changes um the hospital provides daycare and many hospitals do for the nurses and the doctors. And, you know, because it is, like I mentioned earlier, that odd hours, we don't have anyone here. And I brought that up to the group. And one of the women who was in our group who didn't work um, in the industry, she was an HR representative um, for outside of the restaurant industry. She said, yeah, but that's a very specialized field, you know, and and very specialized jobs. Um, And she didn't, I don't think that she meant to say it this way, but I said, well, so are we. You know, we are the yeah. people that know we do this job that very few people want to do long term, you know, and and not that we're doctors and nurses and, you know, having babies and saving lives every night. But we are a serious industry and we should treat ourselves that way. I think there are more industries than people realize. And I would throw journalism in there as another mm-hmm. one where mm-hmm. you've got all kinds of strange hours. And right, Lindsay? Yeah. 24 <laughs> yeah. um, hour shop, right? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I think people are not really... Uh, 
taking a hard look at beyond stereotypical corporate America, mm-hmm. there are plenty of us out there working weird hours right. and exactly. holidays Someone's and nights. Feed and you at night. Yeah. Someone, <laughs> when you clock off. Right. You know, Somebody's yeah. got to deliver that baby. Yeah. Somebody's got yeah. to report the news. Yeah. There's a lot of that. So I'm always a little, a little shocked. I, I have a question for you guys about mentorship and uh, only because I think with the Me Too movement, a lot of times, again, I'm hearing from parents who are like, I don't know if I want to send my daughter into a situation like that. So apprenticing and bringing those people into your restaurants, what, what should that look like um, from the high school to the <laughs> college level and beyond? I am so excited. Our newest employee at Savah is 19 years old. He is in his first year at Johnson County Community College. He is so enthusiastic. I want to like <laughs> bottle is. his, I want to yeah. bottle I met his him spirit. Yesterday. Very excited. <laughs> He's just so excited to be here. And like, so this is a really great way for me to implement like, what does it look like to be a good boss? And mm-hmm. just, you know, be patient and not yell, like not mm-hmm. throw court containers at right. him, you know. And that everyone is welcome, yeah. all levels, all, you know, everything that falls into that category. And, you know, at Savah, we have like a quite a mix and people are non-binary. And so that's a new world for him to understand. A lot of our guests are trans. Like how, what are those pronouns? How do you interact with that? Mm-hmm. But he's, I mean, I think it's great. Like, this is my first Johnson County student, and I'm just like, okay, I'm sold. Is he in the <laughs> culinary program there? Yeah. Yes? He is. I, yeah. From what you guys are talking about, from HR to posters talking about what harassment is, is part of this taking the good parts, the safety net of a corporate culture, and integrating it into what are very small businesses, truly? Definitely. And I mean, like, that's why... I, I'm shifting my focus a little bit at Savah in the coming weeks, and I am so excited to, like, finally have an employee handbook, which is, like, something mm-hmm. that, like, most— Did cor- you think you'd ever say that? No. <laughs> I'm, like, so excited to, like, pour over this, actually. Um, but that's something that, yeah, you think of as corporate, but it's, like, no, but, like, legally, like, it's just good to have everything out there. And, you know, going back to my therapist, communication is key, mm-hmm. and, like, if you don't communicate what the policies are— how can you implement con- consequences once they're broken? Right. You can't just, like, do it by the seat of your pants mm-hmm. and change it every time. Mm-hmm. It needs to be a little bit yeah. more mm-hmm. consistent. Well, those smaller restaurants It's all that I've worked at, it always feels kind of loose and not in an unprofessional way. It's just, well, I've never been told that I can't grab this extra drink or this, uh, you know, showing up mm-hmm. later or whatever. Mm-hmm. You don't get the handbook or anything like that it's all just kind of trickle through like somebody tells you two months later well that's not what we do and I'm like well nobody told me and so seeing that is is great and I'm happy to hear that it'll be helpful yeah and I think a lot of times it's been oh this has never happened here before so now we got to figure out what happens with this particular situation and I think some of the things you know we all kind of talk shit about big corporations and like that that whole idea but the reality is they're doing a lot of things really well and a lot of things that aren't trickling down to the small business or structure and sometimes it's just a mentality system systems of like (laughs) i love systems the attitude it just like presents a an attitude and a and a way that we treat each other at work can be presented really well in a handbook and that doesn't always happen you know, in the restaurant industry. And I wonder why, too. I mean, you guys will know better than me. I feel like in other industries, when businesses start small, this is what happens when they grow. Right. Exactly. Yes. But maybe in a restaurant, staying small does not mean a lack of success, right? Yeah. Exactly. And there's always ways to figure out new growth opportunities for your brand. But I think, like, most people that start restaurants do not have an MBA 
They do not have that background mm-hmm. of what it looks like to run a business. They do it because they're passionate and creative and they want to like get their like whatever's in the noise in their head out on the plate. And then it's when they're able to like step back and finally start to figure out, oh, how am I running this business? And some people never get there and they don't want to get there. But, mm-hmm. you know, the great ones do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And a great example of that is Rye, where I work at, you know, what Colby and Megan have, you know, they have structure and I've never experienced that. And it's not to, you know, knock anybody else down, but it's just, it's new. They've, they've grown. They have three businesses. It's their instruction. There's a sense of relief. Like I Mm -hmm. know what's expected of me as soon as I walk in the door on my first day and, you know. There's no other way. It's that way, and that's it. And I respect that, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've always thought of kitchens as very regimented, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Like there's a cor- there's a almost a corporate structure in the way you guys cook. Mm-hmm. I think the great piece could be that you take that escoffier, you know, mm-hmm. level of brigade system, uh, mm-hmm. brigades, yeah. and you take that and you sort of try to put that into some of your other. Uh, Mm -hmm. your other systems because i've always been impressed by that like wow look how they run this compared to you know other businesses that that is a structure you guys can Mm -hmm. really use Mm -hmm. definitely (laughs) and to kind of go off on what you said um i i like want to bring up every other topic that we we (laughs) talked about at this event you know we touched on financial literacy which i have not heard that phrase before Mm -hmm. and i know it's a new thing but that was something else. And, and what I loved about this event is, like Karen mentioned, there were people from other industries. They didn't want just, you know, women who were business owners or chefs or leaders. They wanted everyone. You know, if you're a bar back, are you a cook? Are you an apprentice? Whatever you may be, you, you are allowed to apply. And we want other women who have HR experience, but not in the food industry. How do we bring that into to our everyday lives and, and things like that? And, and it got me really excited mm-hmm. to see that. Um, I definitely had this conversation a few times with Babson college professors, but a resource I feel like that I don't utilize enough as an entrepreneur is the Kauffman Center mm-hmm. here in town. And so I'm really interested. I mean, I'm entering fourth quarter, so it's kind of crazy right now. But the first of the year, hoping to, like, figure out what sort of seminars are they offering? Like, how are they helping our network, but also networking outside of the Mm -hmm. restaurant industry? Because that is super vital. Yeah, I think one of the things, too, about the restaurant industry is once you become, you know, as a chef, once you become successful, the obvious next step for a lot of us is, okay, now I need I want my own restaurant or I want to put this noise on a plate Mm -hmm. that is mine and my name. And so as you get promoted within the industry and you become, you know, in charge of things and executive chef or chef owner, you suddenly are doing less of that cooking thing that you're so good at. (laughs) And now you're doing spreadsheets and schedules and like food costing and all these things that you you know how to do but you like that isn't your specialized skill and so sometimes it feels like you need a resource to help you be better at this business stuff that is not what you're necessarily great at but you have to be to make your job your restaurant yeah. successful and some people are not good at that yes. they don't even know where to go so having right. that available would be super vital Google. Google it all. Google. Yeah. yeah, I'm not kidding. I live like, on Google. Literally Google everything. <laughs> yeah. Zingerman's offers in, uh, is it Wisconsin or Minnesota? They offer yeah. some really awesome yeah. classes and their books are phenomenal. But like Google. Like, yeah. It's not, it sounds really silly. But. That's where everything is. Yeah. Well, and again, Lindsay and I are shaking our heads because we're like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So also probably, you know, cross pollinating across, you know. I'm sure there are other businesses and other um, industries that that can be really 
helpful. Mm -hmm. And one of those wider topics out there that I think um, we haven't talked about yet is the wage gap. Um, (laughs) Let's Mm -hmm. talk about that Mm -hmm. because I was at a conference (laughs) recently and, and, and somebody just, she just, she was on a panel and she just said how much she made. And I was kind of shocked. Yeah. Honestly, I'm of that era when I grew up, my parents are like, you never share that. And Uh I was in a, I was in a, in a, you know, corporate setting where that was frowned upon. So no one shared. And I'm wondering how you guys feel about this and how you go about it. Yeah. It was really interesting. Um, one of the groups like, um, AK said was financial literacy and their presentation, they stood up and said, both of the women said, this is my job. This is how much I make. This is my benefit package. And that floored me because I, you know, it's always been so, at least I was taught, and it might be a Midwestern thing. I'm not sure, but it's always been kind of a hush hush. Mm-hmm. You don't, you don't say anything. Um, I, when I was a cook in Portland, uh, I remember we were getting paper checks and I got the wrong, they wrote my name on the outside of the wrong check and I got the grill guys check and I was saute and we had worked there the same amount of time and he was making $2 more an hour than I was. And I just remember like instant rage. Like why? Why? And I'm not, I don't know necessarily that it was because he was a man, but I do know like we hadn't talked about it. No one had asked me. I hadn't, hadn't thought to ask, you know, what is the pay rate? What is the average rate that your cooks are making? You know, what is the, I hadn't thought that because I was so excited as a woman to be given the opportunity to be the saute cook mm-hmm. in a very busy kitchen that I was like, yeah, you want to pay me nine bucks an hour? Yeah, I'll be here four hours early and I'll be the last one out the door every day. Yeah. You know, and sometimes that's the mentality we have. Um, so when they like stood up in front of the group and said how much they made, I was like, oh, that is awesome. And yeah. like it felt really empowering, the idea that we can talk about this. And it's not a shameful thing. No one thinks that you don't love your job because you want to get paid to do it. (laughs) You have to make a living. Um, I was reading an article on Ford's magazine and they kind of touched on women just in general with the wage gap. And they talked about how we are always sort of, I guess, meek and Mm -hmm. we are always just happy to be a part of the team, happy to be here and not asking, you know, how much will I be getting paid or, you know, where you are checking in pretty frequently, asking for raises. You're just okay to be there, Mm -hmm. be part of the team. Mm -hmm. Negotiation skills are never discussed Mm -hmm. when Mm -hmm. you're talking about raising a daughter. You know, that's something that a lot of men are like instilled upon but that's something that we're not talked about but also I think too like the talking about money like and talking about politics talking about religion like we need to start having conversations Mm -hmm. because that's what is going to make everything better because you don't have to yell just because you don't agree doesn't mean that's a debate right. like you can right. have a conversation yeah. about something yeah. and, and you're it, you're the boss so how do you feel when people yeah. come to you and say Caitlin, I need more money. Come on. How come you didn't pay me as much as so-and-so? So, I mean, you know, everyone starts out for us at the same, you know, and then basically it's based on long, like how long you've been there because we've had people that have been there for four years now or, you know, like a performance as well. And so it is something that we assess, but it goes into like the corporate structure, like having a uh, handbook that says like in 90 days we're going to do a review mm-hmm. in a year or mm-hmm. six months, whatever. The, this is the timeline for what, a raise looks like is important but even more than the wage gap it's minimum wage like it's mm-hmm. the fact that there's such a discrepancy between what the front of house makes and what the back of house makes in a restaurant and then it's also tipping gratuity like that is a racist and misogynistic system that 
we have to figure out how to not have anymore. But people don't know how much the price of food is because mm-hmm. so much is being commoditized by the government. And so the subsidies that big farms are getting are not what our local farmers are getting. So we pay mm-hmm. more because it does matter where your food is grown and the soil that is grown in. But the regular consumer doesn't even understand what spinach should cost. Right. And yeah. so it's like a, it's a, such a big issue that it's like you first have to educate the guest on we're buying good stuff. It's expensive. Also, we're trying to give a living wage to all of our employees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you guys split tips in your restaurant? So we do tip pool. And that's actually so I shouldn't like say we don't have a handbook. I do have a handbook right now, but it's just not as legalized as I would like. Um, but that is something that is very structured when we base it off a tip pool system that Danny Meyer used at Blue Smoke when it first opened. Um, so everyone gets a point um, based on their position. So servers and bartenders get the most points. Hostesses, barbacks, cooks get lesser points. And then you figure out the dollar amount per points. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So Amazon just decided they were going to pay everybody $15 an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you, is, is that... Is that a livable wage? I'm guessing that no, it but it's a start. Yeah, it's a start. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to get your paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, yeah. three twenty-five <laughs> is what servers and bartenders make, tipped employees make in the state of Missouri right now. People don't even know yeah. that, do they? I have no. never been paid fifteen dollars an hour as a line cook. No, you know, n- never. And so, fifteen bucks an hour to me, I was like, oh, good for them. And then I was like, wait a second. No, like I shouldn't yeah. be excited for 15 bucks an hour. Like that's still not a livable wage in most cities in America, you know. And if you look at even just housing, a lot of us who work in restaurants, you know, on the plaza or midtown can't afford to work in the neighborhoods or live in that the neighborhoods work that we work in, which is like just blows my mind that yeah. like we support these neighborhoods and do, you know, great things. And then we can't, aren't the ones that can afford to live there because we're not making, you know, a living wage. Um as a cook. Yeah. And to touch back on what we were mentioning earlier, the wage gap group um, worked really hard. They came up with a pledge that we could actually possibly really put into, you, you know, use and have restaurants have it on their wall at work if they're willing to, to have that. And, and like she mentioned, they talked about transparency. If we don't start talking, then we don't know where mm-hmm. we are, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, and just just talking about it and, mm-hmm. and bringing it up. It's also something that as I've grown into more of a position of power and have a seat at the table and I'm really trying to take advantage of that, it's also like becoming more civically minded. That's something that I talked a lot about with the other fellows at the James Beard Foundation. Most of us were from smaller markets and we wanted to not only be good business owners, but we wanted to be good for our community. Mm -hmm. And so it is, there is a ballot initiative on November 6th for raising the minimum wage to $12. Uh, So get out and vote. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, just really understanding that voice as someone who has one like and taking advantage of that mm-hmm. in in as a restaurant owner when the minimum wage would go up if it went up would that negate tipping and when we talk about other countries that have these things the governments are providing structure and subsidies for businesses to do this mm-hmm. and so i think that like that's also part of it like we need legislation that helps us mm-hmm. you know be able to pay a living wage but also be able to like have good profitability like margins are so slim in the restaurant industry because it goes back to people don't know what food costs Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) yeah absolutely ladies this has been a fascinating conversation it has been thank you thank you for having us thank you you know solution sprint this was year one right yeah first one first First event 
do you feel like what's next? You know, do you, do you have the answers now? Implement <laughs> well, just I the mean, beginning. Just having the conversation, honestly, and it's not just about you know talking about what the problem is. It's actually sitting down and wanting to come up with a solution. Yeah, um, thinking about how to get there, even though we didn't have a lot of concrete ideas. It's you know there is no handbook on what's right or wrong. This is new territory. We want to take action. We all want to, mm-hmm. and. That, I think, is the the good thing that I got out of this. It's that there are other women out there who want to start paving the way. And it's that network. You yeah. know, like all the conversations that I've had since the fellowship have been just as enlightening as the ones that were happening there. And so it's really like connecting other women that want to make a difference. Yeah. And there are some organizations that I'll tell you about after we get off <laughs> that I think are trying to do that. I think, too, it's the idea of a lot of times in restaurants we – you know, grind it out and work hard because our, like our chef did that and his chef did that. And, you know, her like the, it kind of trickles down this idea that you have to have this mentality of suck it up, get it done. Like we're so impa- passionate about what we do that sometimes it's such a tunnel vision. And so just having these conversations with w- other women who are like, no, no, it doesn't it doesn't have to be this way. And we see that, too. And we want it to be better so that our industry is is better long term for everyone and for the people who want to do this behind us. I can't believe we didn't say balance once during this podcast, right? <laughs> but you know, you know, that's like an unattainable there, thing. thing. It's not yeah. a real thing and that's no. the issue, but it is finding what makes it work for you. Right. Like what what's your balance? Yeah. Work life balance for sure. Yeah, yeah. And what's but personally, you know, everyone mm-hmm. has to find out what their thing is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, taking a step away and actually engaging in these conversations is so important and it's something that we need to be doing more, I think. Yes. Yeah. I think this is really exciting. I've networked a lot in my career, and I can't say how helpful it was. So congratulations. <laughs> Glad you have some mentors. Glad you have some some activities going on here. This is great. And if we didn't talk enough about your individual places before, Kara, one mm-hmm. thing at the Sundry people have to try. Oh, we just changed the lunch menu, and it sounds kind of strange, but there's a really lovely meatloaf on the lunch meatlo- menu, meatloaf, mashed potatoes, it's bacon-wrapped, oh. it's gluten-free, oh. come in and get it. <laughs> Yum. There are, you guys are at Plexpot in Westport, right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. What do you think, Anna Karen? Um, I tell this to my friends and my family all the time, and something that I've always been doing is Rise Steak Night, and Caitlin <laughs> is the one who introduced me to it. Yes. Uh, so in Leewood, <laughs> they do it on Mondays, and here at the Plaza, they do it every Sunday. And for a fixed price, you get three courses, and you get to pick pie. Some, yes, pie. <laughs> so yes. It, it's it's a great way to get introduced into the restaurant if you like steak you're out to celebrate you get a little salad or soup then you do the steak with a side full side and then the pie so yum and they usually have wine specials as well yeah yes (laughs) caitlin what about you um, this will be controversial, but we have the best palm frites. Yes, 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 yes. So, palm frites and champagne should be your next pairing. <laughs> we just go together um, so well. The perfect. Yeah, I pairing. just had a whole thing of fries yesterday. <laughs> I love it. Also, Sava is located outside of the barricade in Westport, so please join us <laughs> Friday and Saturday till one a.m. That long list of things you can't bring in. Yeah. You can bring in the magic eight ball to Savah. It's fine. Bring it in. You can bring your kayak that's on the list. Yeah. (laughs) Umbrella, even if it doesn't say it's going to rain. And I know I said this last time you were here, but duck fat kettle corn all day long. All day. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, it really did help induce someone's pregnancy. So if you need some, (laughs) 
It's those Calabrese chilies, you know. I have it written. Gets that labor going. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. You guys, thank you so much. Yeah, thank, thank you for, you having, for us. having us. And by the way, please go download and subscribe to Chew Diligence. And we'd love if you give us a rating, right, Jill? I hear that's the way to go. <laughs> Five from stars. My, from my son who listens to all the podcasts. Jill's so. son is our podcast stars. consultant. Yeah, that's yeah. right. He, he loves that. So he loves being mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next time on Chew Diligence. Thank you.